With the Christian response to a government that has turned its back on God, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The nation that you and I live in, that have turned their backs on God and have acted unrighteous legislation and have perpetrated great sins against God first, then against people. And it's time for us to rise up as a church to live godly lives. For us individuals, it's like we can only control ourselves. And one of the ways that we do that is by being good citizens. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's been said, a strict observance of the written law is doubtless one of the high virtues of a good citizen, but it is not the highest. We'll hear about that higher law and good citizenship today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Last time you may recall, we were in Romans chapter 13 and began to learn about our submission to the governing authorities. We'll go a little further into this timely issue now, beginning by answering how far their authority goes Here's Pastor Ed. What if the government decides in some governments today to not just allow abortion, but to make it mandatory on my wife and my child? Am I supposed to submit to that? And that, my friends, is where a line is drawn within the scriptures. Submission unto the governmental authorities goes up to a line. Let me show you where that line is. Would you turn over to Acts chapter 4? It's a very clear line that God has given us. Are we to subject to the governing authorities? Yes, to a point. And here's the point. If by obeying a command or an edict from our government means disobedience to God, then we choose obedience to God every time. I'm not talking about the realm of opinion or something that you might be passionate about. I'm speaking directly to your life and mine. If the government ever advocates or pushes upon us as a believer something that clearly is causing us to disobey God, then we choose to obey God every single time. We're in an environment where it's such a blessing. We have an environment where we can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ with all of our strength and all of our might and power. We can use technology. You know, it's amazing the freedom that we have. But if somebody was to come into the door right now, bust in the doors and say, new law, new law, new law. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus Christ. No more. Stop it. Hand over your Bibles. You know, if somebody came up and said, hey, you can't preach in the name of Jesus and they're right there pointing something at me. You know what I'm going to say? You know the first words I'm going to say? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because <laughs> nobody's going to tell me to stop preaching the name of Jesus who saved my soul. I'm going to obey God, not man. Amen. And that's exactly what happened to the early church. And they set the pattern for us. Notice in Acts chapter 4, it says in verse 17, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. And so verse 19 probably opens up, they ran away, they cowered, they went home, never preached the name of Jesus again, right? Of course not. 
They so inspire us. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Turn the page, chapter 5, verse 27. There's an intense pressure from the governmental authorities on the early church. You can't preach. You can't share the gospel. You can't proclaim that name of Jesus. They say, hey, 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 what are it? You know, you judge for yourself. You want me to obey God or obey you? But I'm telling you what, I'm obeying God every time. And notice chapter 5, verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priests asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And I guess you could say, yeah, mm-hmm, you did. And look. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And then Peter and the other apostles answered. You want to mark this, okay? We ought to obey God rather than man. And then they begin to share the gospel. (laughs) Right with there. It's like we're going to obey God. Like the Hebrew midwives in Exodus. Remember, they were told to kill the babies. They said, no way. We're not going to do that. Like Daniel's young friends, when they were told to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, they said, no way. Everybody bowed down, but there they were standing. Like Daniel himself, when he was told, don't you pray, what was the first thing he did? He went up to his room, opened the windows, and prayed. You see, it's important for us to take a righteous stand when the laws of the land contradict God's perfect will as revealed in his scriptures and be ready to take the consequence for Jesus' name. It's a very important principle for us to grasp. Back in Romans chapter 13, things don't get much easier in this section. It's a hard section to grasp, especially if you've been tripped up over the years along these matters. Jesus is wanting to re-educate us and teach us about our responsibilities. He says right there in verse 1 of chapter 13, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Tough. That's a tough thing to take, to grasp. But we read our Bibles literally, church. We take it as the literal word of God. There is no authority except from God. That doesn't mean the Bible is not saying every government of man is perfect, that every leader in government is perfect, that every person in government is exactly the perfect person to accomplish all that we would want them. Now, he's not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, you'll find throughout the history, of, the history of God's dealings with man that often God will use government, the government of man, to punish a nation that has sinned against him. He will use the government of man and the leadership of man. You see it very early on with Samuel and the children of Israel. God told him, I'm going to be your king. You're going to, it's, you, we got a great relationship here. You follow me, you follow me. But they began to see the other nations around them and they cried out for a king. It broke Samuel's heart. He's like, no, no, don't do that. You know, if you got a king, he's going to do this to you, this to you, this to you, this to you. And he cries out to God. You know God's answer? God said, give him a king. They want a king, give it to him. And they paid dearly for Saul. In Psalm 106, verse 15, you can jot it down. It speaks of the children of Israel in the wilderness, rebelling and crying out to God. And the Bible says there in Psalm 106, 15, it says, God gave them a request, but he sent leanness into their souls. God gives those requests, sent leanness into their souls. That difficulty where God has punished 
before throughout history. He sent Babylon. He has sent Assyria. He has used the Medo-Persians. He's used the Romans. There are times where, there are times where the government of man are, are sent to God's people to stir them up. If my people are called by my name, it's a time for the church to rise up and cry out to God. I love how the commentator put it, not for our dreams. We can get so caught up in the American dream. What happened to the Jesus Christ dream of seeing people get saved? We get so caught up in, in the materialism and all the activity of our government and miss the whole point that Jesus Christ came to save souls. And he wants to use everything that he's entrusted to our care so that the godly will rise up, repent, and seek to be used by God no matter what the environment is. Remember the children of Israel were warned over and over again. When you get into the land and you become prosperous, watch out. Because we often think things are going to be tough when we're not prosperous. Things often are tougher when we are prosperous. He said, watch out. When you start to accumulate all these things, you start to enjoy the fruit of the land. When you start to just take in all that I promised you, don't forget me. And what a beautiful picture. I use the word beautiful from the context of God describing so clearly, because it's not that beautiful at all, of the nation that you and I live in. They've turned their backs on God. And have acted unrighteous legislation. And have perpetrated great sins against God first, then against people. And it's time for us to rise up as a church to live godly lives. For us, individuals, it's like we can only control ourselves. And one of the ways that we do that is by being good citizens. I know it's tough. We have to think, wow, I know government's not perfect. I know it's... Not every government is God's perfect will or the wonderful outworking. He's, it's ugly, it's difficult. But remember, Jesus was there before Pilate. Pilate represented, there in John chapter 19, Pilate represented all the power in the world, in the known world in that day. He's standing there. Jesus is just about ready to be crucified. And Pilate's there and he says, you know what? You're not going to answer me because Jesus was silent like a sheep going to, to, to the slaughter. The Bible predicted that, prophesied it. Jesus is silent there for a moment. Pilate says, do you know you're not going to answer me? Do you know that I could kill you right now? I got the power. I'm a powerful man. I'll take you down right now. And in verse 11 of John 19, the answer of Jesus is powerful. He says, you know what? Pilate, you wouldn't have any power unless my Father in heaven gave it to you. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that there is a sense of authority. There is a place of authority that we submit to and subject ourselves to the governmental authorities until they cross the line of God's word. And when they choose to cross the line of God's word, as believers, we need to cling to the word. Jesus tells Pilate that he recognizes the authority that Pilate had. Jesus even submitted to it. He could have wiped Pilate out right there in an instant. He could have taken him out. He could have done what the Jews wanted him to do. And that was overthrow the Roman government. But he didn't. Which even brings up more difficult questions, right? If... No authorities except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God, then it's hard to explain a lot of the evil that we see in governments around the world. It's hard to explain, then, why so many misuse their authority in a governmental position. It's hard to explain why dictators and vicious people like Nero have been allowed to rule, why certain politicians seem to get away with horrible things, why absolutely unrighteous legislation is twisted and used to kill thousands of babies and redefine what marriage really is from God's perspective and on and on that list can go. You're like, why? What? What's going on here, Lord? I can't explain it from like every 
jot and tittle. Like, I can't answer all the why questions, but I can give you a big picture answer, and that is all the evil that exists in the world, all the evil within government, I can use two words, sinful man. Sinful man. When sinful men and women are put in positions of authority, the people groan. They groan a lot. It's a very difficult thing to be under a regime like that. But God has permitted Satan in this season to have vast power on the earth today. He's described as the prince of the power of the air. He's described the world is. In 1 John 5, 19, it says the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Many of your lives have been touched by sin and by the work of the, of the devil. You know, you think of Daniel chapter 10. Remember Daniel shot up a prayer to God and the answer came 21 days later. And Daniel's going, hey, hey man, I prayed this prayer like three weeks ago. What happened? And the angel's saying, man, I got in a fight. <laughs> I had the answer, but I've been fighting for 21 days. And you're like, what are you, what's that all about? Let me read it to you in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. It says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, I don't believe that. That's something that is speaking of a specific human being. I think we're getting insight into the spiritual realm. There's a spiritual battle, even in the answers to prayers, because this angel says, the battle was so much, I'd have Michael the archangel come and help me out, man. He came and kicked his tail for me, man. Bent his wings up or whatever, you know. Just took him down. And so there's, there's junk going on in the demonic realm. There seems to be a demonic control or influence here that's given in Daniel chapter 10 over specific areas, over specific countries, over specific governments. And because evil men and women work in governmental positions, it's simply an open door for Satan to do his ugly work. And you know what? As you travel the world, you'll see this. You'll feel it. It's palpable. You know how you get your globe out and you've got all these different political lines and, and you know, you could see, well, this country's here and they won this treaty. And if you were to take a globe out and just erase all the political lines, I think you'd be able to tell when you're coming into a country that doesn't have godly, you'll just be able to feel it. You don't need a line or a sign that says you are now entering an ungodly country. You don't need that. You'll just say, wow, I could tell this is like, this is oppressive. There's some serious stuff going on here. You'll see how the people are treated in that country. You know, in some countries, the animals are treated better than human beings because of religion, because of a false religion. I mean, for those that are going to Israel with us in a few weeks, you'll be able to sense this right in the city walls of Jerusalem. It's broken off into quarters. In the Jewish quarter, there's just a sense of peace and calm. You know, I can almost hear God wooing his children back to himself. Repent, come to me, repent. You've missed your Messiah, but I'm still here. I still love you. In the Jewish quarter, it's very peaceful, very light. It's really a cool place. But then you go just a few meters away and you walk into the Muslim quarter there is a palpable difference that you feel. You don't even need to be told you're going into a different section. You can feel it. It's observable. You can see it. It's amazing what will happen when a person, when a person decides not to follow after God. Seeing these differences in governments that are unrighteous, how the people are treated. And so what I've seen is that many people just choose to resist the government, including Christians. That's not the will of God for your life, to resist government. We submit to the government up to a point, right, when the laws and the leadership of the government don't cross the word of God, where they don't enact a law and try to make you follow it, and follow by following it, you would be disobeying God. You're to stand up for righteousness. You have a voice to speak on behalf of the widow, on behalf of the poor, behalf of the people who have no voice. You stand for righteousness under subjection to the government. 
I've seen believers resist authority. I mean, because a lot of people have problems with authority. Look at verse 2. It says, therefore, this is back in Romans 13, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. It's true. I have that right there in verse 2 of chapter 13. I have written a little note that I wrote a long time ago. It says, those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Then I wrote a little note right next to it, jail. (laughs) Because it's true. That is one of the tools that's used in our society. You bring judgment on yourself. I know a lot of people have problems with authority today. You might even still see some of those bumper stickers that say, question authority. I mean, it almost sounds cool. Like, oh, you want me to ask little questions and clarify things? But that's not what it means. What it means, if you translate into today's English, it says, resist authority with all your might. You can't trust anyone. You can't trust authority. They've done you wrong in the past. And you can't trust this person. You can't trust. And very well, our trust has been broken for sure. But remember, our hope is in the Lord. And he will be our guard and a protector. Even as we saw last time, how do we deal with those that have wronged us, our enemies? They're good, godly decisions to make and to take. We live in a society where the voice of parents is no longer respected. We live in a society where police officers and those in law enforcement are no longer receiving the respect that they deserve. We, we live in a society where homes are not being led by husbands spiritually, and so the husbands and the dads are not being respected. And it's a call just for us to stand up and respect authority. I mean, authority in general has become something like a passing fad, unnecessary, irrelevant. But the Bible's clear. Whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And if you choose to do that, you'll bring judgment on yourself. Up to a point. You bring judgment on yourself. Now, we don't have to think of the big things right now. In light of this, to put this into practice, we don't have to think of all the big decisions that are before us. Let's just talk about your driving, all right? Let's talk about your driving. You just happen to be one of those guys or gals that says, you know, I see the speed limit, but I know they're not going to ride a ticket till about five or seven or eight miles an hour, so I'm going to readjust the speed limit, and I'm just, I'm going to be a Christian, do, 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 do. I'm going to drive as fast as I want, as long as I want, which really is a lack of respect for authority. And then when we do get pulled over, we cop an attitude about it. Like, come on, there's a lot of other things you could be doing in the world instead of pulling me over. No! I saw that little Calvary Chapel sticker back there. I go to that church, man. (laughs) What are you doing? I mean, when you think about it, the idea behind resisting authority, whenever you and I speed knowingly, we're resisting authority. And look how slick the enemy is to turn our hearts against and our attitudes against a law enforcement officer. Because that law enforcement officer, that policeman, that sheriff, that highway patrolman, that they are there to restrain evil and to reward good. And you and I decide to go cross that line because we figured out and they decided today to write tickets for half a mile over. And they've got the radar thing right here. It's not eight miles. It's today, buddy. Well, wait a minute. Well, come on. You didn't write it before. My wife was driving here. You let her go out. And they say, you know what? This is a school zone. And a little kid just got hit last week. And so we just want to make sure, we want to protect the kids by pulling speeders like you off the road. Like, oh man, here I am, making up my own mind, resisting authority. And when you resist authority in that way, you're going to get a visit. You know, when you're not resisting authority, you know, you see the red lights behind you. I mean, when I see the red lights behind me, I do look at my speedometer real quick. <laughs> and then when the numbers line up, I'm cool. And then they just go right by me. 
but you know, when I'm, my mind is set on doing the right thing, I don't worry about the officers. They're rewarding good. And I know there's been rogue police officers. I know there's been injustice. I'm not speaking that that stuff doesn't exist. It does. And it's sad that it does. But the majority of those in law enforcement, they, they're there for you. They're sacrificing their life for us. They, they have been appointed by God. I mean, they are there to help us, even if they do ask for an autograph or two from time to time. They give you a copy of it, too. See, here's what you signed. We'll see you in a month, man. <laughs> So don't resist authority. Submit yourselves. The Christian is to be the best citizen on the earth. Not to make excuses for ourselves or somehow try to skirt the laws of the land, but to be good, godly citizens, understanding that our priority are the souls of men, the propagation of the word of God. You know, when missionaries go to another country, you know what they do? They subject themselves to the government there because of the people they're wanting to reach. They're subjecting themselves in such a way that, hey, if the government says no Bibles, then they make a calculated decision to say, I obey God more than the government. We're going to pass out Bibles. We're going to teach. You know, when you think of a country like China where the gospel is outlawed, one of the most thriving churches on the planet today is underground. You know where? China. Because persecution, let's just say in our nation things aren't going to go the way that we might want them to go. And things happen in such a way where different types of leadership are there that we don't like or we don't respect or we don't even want to follow or they're going to enact. Hey, persecution on the church has never hurt the church. It's always made us stronger. Persecution in our lives, although we don't like it, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Tribulations have never, have never been bad for the church. The church under pressure always thrives. Just like the believer. You might be facing some things right now. It's causing you to cry out to God, huh? It's causing you to just bow your life before him and go, oh God, I don't know how I got in this mess, but I'm crying out to you, help me. And you can do the same thing as a government. Not to resist authority. I don't know that Christians aren't to be known as those that resist authority. Christians are to be known not by what they don't do, but by what they do. And what good Christian citizens do is they submit to the authorities and take a stand for righteousness and take a stand for godliness unto the Lord. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part one of a message on the Christian citizen and government. You might want to hear this again, and you can online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. You'll find Abounding Grace right there, as well as many other helpful resources. Hey, are you looking for some good summertime reading? If you're like me and like to pull out a good book to read on vacation, we'd like to recommend Love, The More Excellent Way. In the late 1960s, an entire generation was searching for love. Maybe you've been on your own quest to find it. This encouraging and practical book by Chuck Smith will show you what real love is and how to discover it. You'll learn about God's love for us and our love for God in response. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, as we're talking about the Christian citizen and government today, I couldn't help but think of the upcoming election. How important is it for Christians to vote in a democracy like we have in America? Well, Larry, 
I can't overestimate the importance for us to participate in our governmental system. Uh, we, we have uh, the, the best governmental system uh, that has ever been created. And the fact that we get to choose our next leader, uh, we get to be a part of the process, we get to choose representative leadership, and we need to vote. We need to vote uh, for those men or women that we believe best lines up with our theology, our ideology, our philosophy, those that would stand up for what is right. Again, remember the governmental system is not a religious system. So we're not voting for pastors and we're not voting for elders and deacons. We're voting for presidents and senators and congressmen and women. We're voting for mayors and governors and so as you, as you assess the people that are running, we, it, you, you ask how important is it, Larry? It's absolutely important. Choose to vote and make a well-reasoned, well-informed decision participating in your government. Thanks for those words of encouragement, Ed. And please set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the book of Romans to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.